You know, today we're going to be talking about worship, and uh, I don't want to rehash, you know, the basics of what uh, worship is about. Uh, most of you, if you've been in church long enough, you would have heard the, the old adage, you know, worship is not about music, worship is a lifestyle, right? Uh, worship is not just about the songs that we sing here in church as we gather. Music is a small part of what worship is, just a small part, but worship is much bigger. Worship is the believer's every moment response. Our believer's every moment response to all that God is. Our thinking, our acting, our speaking, our feeling, our relating to one another, lived in response to the majesty and the glory of God, amen? And so today, given that worship is our every moment, we would be selling ourselves short if we were only to talk about how worship is impacted here in this church building in the few moments that we have together. Today, I believe that God wants to shape the way that we worship both here in this building as a church, but also outside as we go out into our lives after this. Is everyone okay with that? Today, my prayer is that God will help us contemplate something fundamental to our worship. And if you can lay hold of this, if we can lay hold of this, I really believe that it will transform the way that we live our life in worship to our God. And what we're contemplating this morning is, is this. It's grasping the truth of God. Grasping the truth of God. You know, John Calvin, he said this. He said, for the word of God is not received by faith as if it flits around in the top of our brains, but when it takes root in the depth of our hearts. The word of God is not received by faith as if it flits around in the top of our heads, but as it takes root in the depth of our hearts. And there's this, this passage, this prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter three, which I want us to turn our attention to this morning. Ephesians chapter three, verse 16, it, it deals with this. And uh, we're gonna go through this slowly because I really believe that there's something here really important for us to catch. It says this, I pray, verse 16, that out of his glorious riches, out of Jesus' glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And catch this, verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, what is Paul praying for in this passage? We gotta take a step back and realize that he's talking to the Ephesian church. He's talking to Ephesian believers. And so don't they already know the love of Christ? Don't they already understand the gospel of grace? Don't they already have God dwelling in them? In Ephesians 1, doesn't he already say that they already have the fullness of God in them? So why, if they're already believers, if they already understand the love of God, if they already have Christ dwelling in them, why would Paul pray this prayer? You know, Paul is referring here, and catch this, he's referring to the difference between having something true in principle and then fully appropriating it in your innermost being. It's a knowing that surpasses knowledge. Are you all with me so far? And this is what we need to grapple with this morning because to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, how high, 
The word grasp there is more than just an intellectual belief. It means to get a secure hold of. It's a picture of uh, wrestling, to, to, to wrestle or to capture, to jump onto somebody, to overpower them, to wrestle them to the ground, to knock them out. It is a level of knowing that goes beyond intellectual belief and goes into the realm of experience, of knowing, of, of really grappling with it in our innermost being. And so Tim Keller, he says this when he's uh, looking at this passage. He says, at one level, and this, this applies to us as well, at one level, Christians have these things. They have the love of God. They have Christ dwelling with them. At another level, they haven't experienced them. It's one thing to know the love of Christ and to say, I know that he did all that. It is another thing to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, it's possible, he says, for Christians to live their lives with a high degree of phoniness, hollowness and inauthenticity. The reason is because they have failed to move the truth into our hearts and therefore it has not actually changed who they are and how they live. Are you catching that? I'm talking here about a truth that a knowing that surpasses knowledge. And if our worship of God is to be genuine, if it is to be authentic and to be real, we must grasp the truth, the reality of who God is. Not just the knowledge of who God is, the reality of who God is. The knowledge that is in our heads must move into our hearts and result in a lived experience. Until that point, we're stuck in a place where we know but we don't really know. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, ha has anyone here been to Switzerland? Yes. Show of hands. Okay, there's a few of us, all right. If you go to the Swiss Alps, it is one of the most beautiful places that you will find on earth. And I could stand here for 20 minutes trying to describe for you the snow-capped mountains, the cows with the little bells on their neck, the green pastures, the valleys, just how aesthetically pleasing that place is. But how many of you know that nothing I can say can replace you being there in that experience? The same is with God. We know, but we don't really know. We can talk all we want about the love of God, but until you have experienced for yourself the overwhelming love of God in your life, it stays here. You know, but you don't really know. The same for God's healing power. We can talk for ages about the theology of healing. Does God heal now? How does he heal? Why does he not heal in some circumstances? But until you've experienced the healing power of God in your life, that will change everything about what you believe. God's overwhelming majesty, His holiness. We sing, how great are you, Lord. We can, we can sing that for days, but until it becomes a reality that we experience, we know, but we just don't really know. Are you with me? You know, Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist, the theologian and preacher, he says this, there are two ways to know that honey is sweet. You can know it with a rational mind and you can also know it with the sensing tongue. You can know that honey is sweet because people tell it to you. They tell you about it and you believe them. But when you actually taste the sweetness of honey yourself, you know fully, mentally as well as experientially, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and graciousness on the heart. 
And that's why the psalmist in Psalm 34, chapter, uh, verse 8 says this. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just know, not just talk about it, not just come and write notes in your, in your sermons and in your, in your lectures, but taste and see for yourself. Experience it. Know it in your heart that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. You know, let's think about, for a moment, about the presence of God. You know, at one level, we know that the presence of God is everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. The psalmist says, where can I run? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go here, you are there. If I go there, you're there. I can't run away from you. His presence is everywhere. God is everywhere. And yet, on another level, a deeper level, there is a level where we can experience for ourselves the abiding personal presence of God that goes with us everywhere, that never leaves us nor forsakes us. In fact, many of us in this room would have experienced this abiding personal presence of God, right? Where we can tangibly sense the Lord's nearness, where we can sense Him leading us towards repentance, His speaking to us about a situation or about something that's going on in our lives, where we can feel His comfort and peace which surpasses understanding. Even when the things around us seem to be going astray, we can sense His peace and His comfort, His correction, His power. I'm telling you, church, that the Lord is to be experienced. Today, as we gather together to worship, the Lord is to be experienced. He doesn't just need our songs. He doesn't just need our lip service as we lift our voices to Him. He wants to be experienced by you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. Blaise Pascal uh, tells of one of these experiences. Blaise Pascal was a French um, genius. He was a mathematician, a physicist, a philosopher, but he was also a believer and a theologian. And he said um, he had sewn into the inner lining of his coat. Uh, after he passed, they found this inscription on his coat. And it said this, in the year 1654, Monday, the 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half an hour after midnight, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, but certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. What Blaise Pascal was describing there was, was not an experience of God that is just of the philosophers and of the learned, but he was talking about an encounter with the living God. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, said this. He said, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. These men, they're not talking about uh, just a Bible study about God or just a conversation about God. What they are talking about is they encountered the presence of the almighty and living God who wants to encounter all of us day by day. And before you write these experiences off as exceptions to the norm, strange things, things that can happen but don't necessarily happen, let's grapple with what Paul is praying for in Ephesians 3. Didn't he in his own words say that he is praying for a knowing that surpasses knowledge? That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may not just have our minds but our innermost being gripped, totally gripped by the experiential reality of the love of God? Isn't that what he's praying for? 
And so my question to you, to us this morning as a church is this, when was the last time you experienced the reality of God? The reality of God, when was the last time, church, that you were so awed by the majesty of God that you could not help but fall to your knees in worship? When was the last time that you were so overwhelmed by His grace and mercy of, the grace and mercy of Christ on the cross that tears welled up in your eyes, that gratefulness swelled swell up in your heart, that you could not help but raise your hands and lift your voice and say, God, you are so good. When was the last time the reality of God gripped your life so hard with such force that it resulted in a deep and profound change in the direction of your life? Now let me be clear here. What I'm talking about is I'm not, we're not seeking spiritual experiences for the sake of it. To stroke our own ego, to kind of say that, oh, you know, I've had these great spiritual experiences for ourselves, as if to say we're better Christians. What we're seeking is the face of Christ. You know, whenever scripture mentions the face of God, it is used in the context of relationship. It's a relational term. Whether that be, you know, the, the priestly blessing that we've all heard before, let, let the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious towards you. Or Moses telling the Israelites that uh, out of Mount Sinai, the Lord spoke to you face to face. The face of God is always used to describe an encounter, a real encounter, a real interaction with God a sensing of God's reality and His presence. It's a term to describe fellowship, communion with God. And that is what we're seeking. That when we come together, when we worship God, we are seeking to know the reality of what it is like to be in relationship with the Almighty God. The kind of reality of relationship where we walk and we talk with God. That kind of relationship that was lost in Eden when, when mankind sinned against God, but is now restored in Jesus Christ, hallelujah. And scripture says that as we seek the face of Jesus Christ, we can begin to know the glory and the majesty of God displayed in the face of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 18 says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. It is John Owens, um, he's a Puritan theologian. He said, he said this, as you seek the face of Christ, it is the beauty and glory of Christ, if, if the beauty and glory of Christ does not capture our imaginations, dominate our waking thought and fill our hearts with longing and desire, then something else will. We will continually be ruminating on something or some things as our hope and joy. And whatever those things are, they will frame our souls and transform us into their likeness. If we don't behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, then something else will rule our lives. We will be slaves. And so church, this is the key. This is the key to true Christian worship, both here inside our Sunday gathering and outside as well. We are seeking after the face of Christ. We are seeking a real, authentic, genuine relationship with the living God himself. Can anybody amen that? Matthew chapter seven, verse 23, is a, is a heavy verse. It's a verse where Jesus is teaching and he, he says, 
In those days, there will be many who prophesy in my name, who heal in my name, who do mighty works in my name. But then Jesus will turn to them and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And that word, no, I never knew you, in that verse, is a relational term. It's not to say that God, Jesus never knew about us. It's to say that in the context of relationship, he never knew us. And so God, uh, one pastor put it this way, God doesn't just want to be studied. He wants to be known. Jack Hayford put it this way, Christian worship, it must be intelligent, but there are some things that we can't explain. Christian worship must be based solidly on objective truth, but it must also include subjective experience. And that's where Christian mysticism comes in. God is a person and our relationship to him must be personal. Just as a devoted husband and wife or parent and child will experience with one another what they can't easily define or explain. So the devoted saint of God, thirsty for spiritual reality, will enjoy experiences with God that will transcend the merely academic. Church, are you catching what I'm talking about here? That's why coming to church is, isn't just an intellectual exercise. It's not just a place where we, we write a few notes and learn a few things that you didn't know before. That's why worshiping together as a church is not just about looking at the lyrics on the screen and contemplating what those words are saying and whether those words are factual and true. But a life of worship is a life where our posture is one where we desire to seek the face of Christ, where we come with hearts that cry out to God that say, God, I want to know you. I want to experience the reality of who you are. When we're in the church service, church, can I encourage you? You know, uh, I often look around during worship and uh, I, I, just, I just notice how, how different people uh, praise and, and worship God. And I'm very encouraged by a lot of us who, who worship God with such abandon, where it's almost like you, you do not care whoever is around you and you just wanna worship God. And, 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 and I can see the, the desire to seek after God on your face and in your, in your body expression. And then there are those who I see and they, I can tell, I can almost like clockwork see their, their minds just ticking. Um, they, they're often standing there and they're, they're looking at, at the screen or they're looking at the stage and they're, 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 they're thinking about, oh, what are these words saying? Are these words accurate? Are they true? And, and I, God bless you for that because that is a good desire. But can I encourage you that worship is much, much, much more than that. It is not just about singing objective truths about the Lord, but it is about encountering the presence of God. When we come together to worship, it's not just to contemplate whether the theology is correct, though we will do our utmost to make sure it is. But as we gather together, our responsibility as believers, when we come to worship is to say, God, I want to know you. Show me who you are. Don't let me just think about the words but let me see you, open my eyes, open my spiritual eyes to see who you are, open my ears to hear your voice, overwhelm me with your presence so that I can get a glimpse of the reality of who you are. That is what brings about true worship, both in the church service and outside. When we go into our families, when we go into our workplaces, when we hang out with our friends, the cry of our hearts is the same, God, show me who you are. I want to experience the reality of who you are in this moment. 
As I go into my workplace, God, I don't want to just talk about you as if you're an idea that I learned on a Sunday sermon. But God, I want to experience your reality, your grace in this place, your favor. I want to see how you can save people. I want to see how you can turn lives around for your glory. I want to see you establish your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That is the cry of true Christian worship. It is a desire to know the reality of the God that we love and that we serve and that we sing about. Amen? Amen. One of the most, I've been in, in, in church for a very long time, um, ever since I was born. Um, and I've been in many, many, many worship services. But one of the most vivid memories of uh, worship to me was uh, in Sydney, actually. Uh, I was in Sydney for work uh, back at that time. I was, I was doing some training. And uh, it just so happened that things had almost like lined up perfectly. During that one or two-week training that I was in Sydney, Hillsong Conference was happening at that time. Now, if, for those of you who have ever been to Hillsong Conference, they usually hold it in the uh, Olympic Stadium, which is a really far, far away, ways away. It's like out, out of the city as far as you can get, like kind of 35, 45 minutes by train kind of thing. Um, but that year was their 25th anniversary for their conference. And for whatever reason, they had decided to hold their celebration in the city. Literally 10 minutes walk from where I was holding my training. Um, and during that period of, of, of time in my life, I had been wrestling with God about what is it that he had called me to do? I had a sense of God already that he had wanted me to go into full-time ministry, but things weren't lining up and uh, there were things that in my heart that, that God was having to deal with, uh, the reasons why I wanted to go into ministry, whether my heart was on him or, 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 or on the career or on, uh, or on ministry. And, and so there was a lot of things going on and I was, I was very conflicted at that point in time. And so uh, what happened that day was... Uh, as the conference usually does, they have night sessions. And during those night sessions, they open it up to the public. So you don't have to buy a ticket, you can just walk in. And that one night, I had no idea what was going on. I decided, hey, you know what? Um, training's ended, 5.30. I'm just gonna leg it down towards that, um, the conference and, and see what's going on. And so I, I went in and, and being someone who didn't pay for a ticket, they, they welcomed me in, they ushered me all the way to the back, the back of a stadium, literally last row. I could touch the roof. That, that, was, that, was, that was where I was. So I, I didn't know anybody. I was still in my work clothes. And I, to be honest, I didn't care. I just wanted to um, spend some time in, in God's presence. And, and that week, um, or that, that particular session, uh, they had decided to do a, a worship night. Um, and they'd invited some, some different worship leaders from across Australia and, and the world, and they were leading worship. And uh, that night was the night that I first heard the song, Jesus at the Center. It was introduced, it wasn't out on, on Spotify or YouTube or anything yet. It was a totally new, fresh, fresh off a thing. And I remember um, just being this unknown in a, in a sea of tens of thousands of people at the very back of the stadium. Um, I remember just feeling, uh, bringing all my cares and my concerns to God. And I remember Him just encountering me in that moment. And I, I began to cry. It wasn't like, like these tears. These tears are, are, are weak there. There. They're, they're nothing. But it was like the ugly, like bawling, like snoring down your nose. Like, like oh, it was, it, was, it was horrible. And I was so glad that I didn't know anybody in that moment. Uh, but I, I just remember God encountering me. And I remember as, as the worship leader was singing those words, he was singing, Jesus, you're the center. Nothing else matters. 
everything revolves around you. I remember him just doing something in my heart where he, he released something that I was holding on to and he shifted and he, he did a work which after years and months of, of grappling with these, with these things in my heart, he set me free and I could just worship him in that moment and I just sensed his nearness and I sensed him reminding me that everything in my life was supposed to be about him and it doesn't matter or not whether I go into ministry, it doesn't matter or not whether I'm an accountant for the rest of my life, but as long as Jesus was the center, that that's all that mattered. And in that moment, that is, a, that's the power of an encounter and that, that's what shifted the trajectory of my life to be where I am right now. And so church, my prayer for us today is, is not that we would just come and sing songs about God just as if, as if he needs our, our music. But my prayer is that God, as he encountered me, he would encounter you, that he would show you the reality of who he is, that he is real, that he is with you, he is near. He wants to shape you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to be known by you this morning. And so I just wanna encourage you today. It's not just about the truth of God, facts, words on a page. It is about you experiencing the reality of who God is here in this moment, in this service, but also as you walk out into your life. God is as real to you there as He can be to you right here in this church. So John Owens, he puts it this way. He says, where light leaves the affections behind, where truth leaves the affections behind, it ends in formality and or atheism. Where affections outrun light, they sink into the bog of superstition, doting on images and pictures or the like. So in your thoughts of Christ, be very careful that they are conceived and directed according to the rule of the word, lest you deceive your own souls and give up the conduct of your affections onto vain imaginations. But we are not to forego our duty to contemplate Christ just because other men have been mistaken in theirs nor part with practical fundamental principles of religion because they have been abused by superstition. And then he says this, which I find is amazing for a Puritan to say, he says, yet I must say that I had rather be among them who in the acting of their love and affection unto Christ do fall into some irregularities and excesses in the manner of expressing it than among those who professing themselves to be Christians do almost disavow their having any thoughts of or affection unto the, purpose, unto the person of Christ. And so that's my heart cry for us this morning, church. As we, we're gonna, in a moment, we're gonna stand together and we're gonna continue to worship the Lord. But my heart cry is that whatever is in here, whatever you think you know about Christ, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you with power in your innermost being so that what's in here may drop into here, that you may experience the reality of the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God, whatever need you have, you can bring to God and you can experience the reality of who He is in that situation and in that circumstance. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand to your feet? Let me pray Ephesians chapter three over us and then we're gonna worship. I pray that out of His glorious riches, 
that Christ may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, let's worship.